center and coming in is Loom. Millendike centered it. With Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, happy Friday. It is June 9th, and we welcome you to this hour of Flames Talk with Pike. I'm Steinberg. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, live on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hello, Pike. Happy Friday, Pat. Happy Friday to you as well. We've got coaching news to dive headfirst into as we left you on Thursday's show I said when do we get news when do we get an announcement is it going to be Friday or are we going to have to wait till after the weekend to find out if one of Ryan Huska or Mitch Love will end up being the head coach of the Flames well the answer is going to be after the weekend it sounds like we will get an official announcement of who the new head coach is going to be um this was first reported on Thursday night by Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. Ryan Huska, the leading contender to be the head coach of the Flames. And here's what he said Friday morning on the Jeff Merrick Show, which is uh, available now wherever you get your podcast. I heard in multiple places yesterday that uh, it was trending towards him. I think the one thing you've always got to realize is that it, you know these things can fall apart or there, there can be things that happen. But I'm under the impression that Calgary was, you know, putting it in place to, for for Huska. And, you know, as long as nothing goes sideways, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be the guy. And that uh, that totally jives with what I've heard with uh, heard over the last week or so. Not like, uh, not like Elliot needs any backup, but um, just very very much. Um, it's it's kind of the end point as to what I've been hearing throughout the week. Just. Anyone I have spoken to about the coaching vacancy over the last number of days has kept on saying, you know, that you talk about some of the different candidates that are out there and that you've been hearing, and it just, Huska's still there. Do not count out Ryan Huska. You continued to hear, and as it became pretty clear that they were leaning towards an internal hire, and, and you know, you start talking about Mitch Love, and you start talking about Ryan Huska, it just, you kept on hearing. Just don't count Huska out. Um Here's here's kind of what I believe and and what I believe to be true right now. Uh, I believe Huska was kind of the leading candidate for Craig Conroy going into the GM search process, and as as he was interviewing and, and going through his process to be general manager, I think Ryan Huska was kind of the the leading candidate for him at that point. And so now that he is the general manager, it's no surprise that one of his or the leading candidate for him ends up being the guy. Um, Craig, Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska have been in the same organization together for almost a decade. It's been nine consecutive years that they've been together. Conroy has run the American League team before. Uh, Conroy has been uh, very, very involved in development. Uh, Ryan Huska is thought of very, very highly in the Flames' front office as, as a very good coach. So I don't think there's any surprise that... A guy that was very, very like Craig Conroy, right from the get go. I remember doing the 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 information podcast podcast that we did after the news started leaking that Conroy was going to be the GM, and you know, right from the get go, we were kind of saying 
Huska, Huska's going to be one of the guys that, that really gets a look here because of how long he and Conroy go back. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, I can't, and, it's not a big-time surprise, anyway. And, and, you know, let, let's, let's be honest here. When Ryan Huska actually technically has two NHL games under his belt as That's a head true, coach. That's true, he does. Uh, during, folks might not remember this, so during that awkward week, or I think it was like a week, when uh, the, the Flames, after that game, announced that Jeff Ward was leaving leaving uh, his coaching duties behind and Daryl Sutter was coming in. Daryl was on the farm, and per NHL needed regulations needed at the time... clear protocol, right? Yeah, he had to go through the COVID protocols and basically do the testing and stuff that the that all, all acquisitions and hires had to do at that time. So who did the Flames turn to in sort of a, a weird period? They turned to Ryan Huska to run the bench for for a couple of games, and yeah, I mean, I think they had a regulation loss and an overtime loss, so uh, his his uh, his winning percentage is already starting off in the red for a bit. But you know, he's he's a guy that they they speak really highly of when when we had the opportunity to you know to have him do media veils uh, in place of Daryl. You're always sort of struck by you know he's very cerebral, very thoughtful. He his answers are in paragraphs. He you know, he's one of those guys that you ask him about systems, you ask him about players, you ask him about development. Yeah, you can ask you can ask Ryan Huska probably about anything, and he would figure out a way to give you a really thoughtful, insightful answer. And I think if you're if you're a player in that locker room and you're you're you know you want to know, coach, you know, what are we doing and why? He's going to be somebody who really leans on how well he thinks the game and how well he communicates what he thinks of the game. Cause some guys think of the game, but don't communicate. Yeah. Some guys communicate, but have nothing to say. He he's been able to mesh both sides of it together really well. Well, and, and I want to get into a little bit more about Ryan Huska, the coach in a second, um, but a couple of housekeeping items and, and kind of bullet points to get to before then, as we wait for this over the next number of days to become official. This is uh, Elliot Friedman. So we heard him on the Jeff Merrick show. He and Merrick also do 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and the latest 32 Thoughts is out on Friday as well, wherever you get your podcasts. A little bit more from Elliot and Jeff on the coaching situation on 32 Thoughts. Anything can happen here. Nothing is done until it's done. But the indication I got on Thursday night is that Ryan Huska, who was the head coach of the Western Hockey League champion Kelowna Rockets in 2009 and spent the last five seasons as an assistant coach, of the Calgary Flames is the leading contender. Look, I always say this, and I said it on on the show, nothing is done until it's done, but it is trending in that direction. Other candidates there have included uh, Mitch Love, Travis Green as well, Elliot. Yes, uh, Todd Reardon. You have mentioned Mark Savard. I believe Alex Tangay was interviewed as well. Mm -hmm. I am curious to see... So if you think about this, there are now two individuals off the bench, at least from last year. Daryl Sutter and, well, Huskers moved into a different role. So I'm wondering what they're going to do to bring in with him. Well, and and that's where things get kind of interesting. So I'm not (laughs) sure what the assistant situation is going to look like because everybody on the bench, once Daryl was fired, everybody who was on the bench last year and part of the coaching staff needs new contracts. So Jason LaBarbera, Kale McLean, Kirk Muller, uh, that the coaching staff, the assistant coaches all needed new deals. So we know Huska is getting the bump to head coach. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Kirk Muller does not come back. I don't know that for sure. We'll see, but it would not be a shock if, if Muller looks elsewhere or decides to, to go look for um, a, a different organization. 
so that needs to be figured out. If Mueller does not come back, who would the new associate be? What would the assistant situation look like? Would Jason LaBarbera be back? Would Kale McClain be back? Yeah. Would there be new names, new faces that join the coaching staff? So that is one question. And the other question is Mitch Love. Is he back as AHL head coach next year, or does he look for another gig? Does he look for NHL work elsewhere in another organization? So they have to figure out the rest of the coaching staff with Ryan Huska. Will that include Mitch Love, or will Mitch Love be with another organization? There's some there's some significant questions that come with the promotion of Ryan Huska to head coach. Yeah, and, and as we saw on the management side, I mean, the, the Flames had both Craig Conroy and Brad Pascal as finalists uh, for that general manager job. And they managed to keep both guys. And I know, you know, the, the flames think very highly of the, the people they have on the bench and the people who are considered for the job, uh, you know, the internal candidates, especially. So I'm sure in an ideal world, the flames would love to keep everybody, but you know, these are guys that, you know, if you have NHL coaching aspirations and you know, you have a guy come in brand new GM, brand new head coach. It's, you don't really want to be the guy sitting to his left, waiting for him to get canned, you kind of want to you want to bet on guys you know to succeed, but you also want to be in a position where you can succeed too. And for some of these guys, maybe that you know, unfortunately, that might not be Calgary. And and look, if if they were like if if Mitch Love were to look at it and say to himself, you know what, I, I came close to a head coaching job here in Calgary. I feel like I've done everything I can at the American League level, maybe searching for another organization to become an assistant in is the way to go. I wouldn't blame him. Um, and, and maybe there's an offer on the table for him to be a part of Ryan Huska's coaching staff. I don't know. As Elliot says, these things are never done until they're done. So there's always that that plays into it as well as we go into, I'm guessing, a Monday or Tuesday announcement is when this is made official. So those are just a couple of things to keep in mind as we move towards everything being finalized. So let's talk about Ryan himself. Because I've seen some who like this decision and some who don't I, like this decision. I, I, I would describe the reaction on social media as mixed. Yeah, and, and look, I think that was going to be the case for pretty much any of the names that were in this final mix. Because I had seen lots of Mitch Love is not ready, you can't go down that road. I've seen plenty of don't go the Travis Green road or Todd Reardon, why would you do that? Like, I, I don't think you were getting... 100% sign-off on, on social media on any of the finalists here. But I, I'll i tell you why I like it, and you can call me whatever you want for saying these. This is why I... Look, first of all, I've been kind of pounding the drum for Ryan Huska going back to like February and March. When, when people first started calling in in earnest, and it started to become a hot conversation about Daryl Sutter's future on our Flames Talk post game. The guy that I always would go to if they make a change, I'd go to Huska. And I, I so I've been pretty consistent on that for you know the last four or five months in talking about that. Now I I'm a big fan of Ryan's personally, and I'm a big fan of the work that he's done as a coach. So yeah, I'm a big fan of his. So I mm-hmm. guess that makes me inherently biased in this conversation. But for me. He just makes sense. 
He's very well, and I know that the assistant to head coach in the same organization is not always a bona fide recipe for success, but he is very well respected inside that locker room right now. I know that for a fact. He is very well respected and and looked at not just as a guy who, you know, is, is maybe a little bit of a softer touch than Daryl, but he's very well respected for the way he handles his player, uh, his, his the, the way that he can um, command a room and... and also for the way that he thinks the game. So I, I know that amongst players inside that room. He's done a strong job as an NHL assistant the last five years. Consistently over the last five years, a few of the things that the Flames have done well consistently have been Ryan Huska's yeah. bread and butter. I, I threw it out the on... The blue line and the penalty. I kill. threw it out on social media when uh, after uh, after the, the intermission announcement by, uh, by Elliot the other day. Uh, the Flames... Penalty kill is the sixth best at stopping opposition power plays during the five years that uh, that that's been Ryan Huska's baby, and top six ain't bad. It's not bad, and and so that so he's done a very good job. And 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 the blue line has been one of the strengths of Calgary. You take a look at Oliver Shillington's development. You take a look at what we saw. I I know for a fact that Ryan and Mackenzie Weger worked really, really closely with one another this year, and look at how Mackenzie got better and improved, and by the end of the year, was one of their best players. He's done a very good job with his positional area, and he's done a very good job with his special teams area. He he progressed Erica Branson to the point when when he signed a, a big deal in Columbus, a lot of Flames fans who probably, you know, a lot, I, I know for a fact, a lot of fans were kind of poo-pooing his initial signing in Calgary, and then by the time he left, people were like, oh, oh no. dang, Branson's leaving. Yeah. I mean, folks probably didn't want to pay him $4 million a year, but he played well enough that I think everyone saw the raise he got and went, Dang, good work, man. He's worked a lot with Rasmus Anderson. Look how good Rasmus Anderson's become. Noah Hannafin has gotten, I believe, better in every year that he's been a member of the Flames. So he's done a so at the NHL level in his assistance role, Husk has done a very strong job. He's earned this. I had a couple of people because I put this out on Twitter on on Thursday night about him paying his dues. He's like, okay, enough about paying his dues. This isn't a union. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get, but my point is that this guy has earned it. This is not some guy who is not like this. Isn't a, a career assistant who's just getting a job. This is a guy who has been a head coach at the two next highest levels, and he has won and been successful as a head coach of the Kelowna Rockets in the Western League, and as a head coach of the Adirondack Adirondack Flames and Stockton Heat in the American League. So he is, he has. Tons of assistant work in the NHL and junior hockey. Tons of head coach work in the American League and Western Hockey League. So he's earned this. It's not like, oh, you put your time in and you get the job. When I What I meant by paid his dues is that he has succeeded and checked boxes on every level along the way. And he has a different approach than Daryl. He's a slightly softer touch, but... I've talked to a lot of guys who've played for him. Does not mean he's not authoritative. I've seen him in our Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge after games, and uh, like that that guy can get upset, and, and I do think there's an authoritative side of it. And I think he has a modern approach to the game as well. He relates well to players. The way that he wants teams to play, I think, is in line with the way teams play in this day and age. And here's the last thing I'll say, Pike. He's been an NHL coach in waiting for the Flames since the moment they hired him. When they hired him in 2014 to take over the American League team, the 
there was a succession plan there. They felt like this is a guy that we can groom to be a head coach down the road, and they wanted to develop a head coach internally. And I know that they also have a guy in Mitch Love who they've done, but they they have developed Ryan Huska as, what, four or five years in the American League and now five years in the National League. Like they, They've developed this guy to be ready for this job. So yeah. for me, that's why I like it. Why not see that succession plan through? And why not give the guy an opportunity that I believe he's earned, that I believe he's ready for, and that I believe that he's suited for? Yeah. I, this, and I, I'll read some text in a little bit. I just I know that the assistant to head coach can sometimes be looked at as a cop-out or a lazy move inside the same organization. But... In my opinion, I felt from minute one, internal hire at GM, internal hire at head coach is the way to go because for me, more so than many other circumstances with what happened last summer and the the new road that this team was put on, continuity is important. And so you're getting fresh voices in both spots, but you're also getting continuity in both spots. And I think in this situation, more than many other spots where you're looking to replace a GM and or head coach, I believe that's really important. So that's why yeah. I'm I'm on board with it. Yeah. The, 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 the criticism I've heard that I'm going to push back on is comparing Ryan Huska's AHL record with Mitch Love's. And I understand the temptation because it seems on, on surface to be an apples-to-apples comparison. Uh, Mitch Love, in two years in the American League, was AHL Coach of the Year twice and won a bunch of playoff rounds, and Ryan Huska did not do those things as AHL head coach. I'll say this. When Huska came in as head coach, it was year technically year one-ish, two of the year rebuild, depending on what, what you want to say the rebuild started. So it's not like he had a, a, a really deep group of guys to work with yet. The, the guys that Brad Living started to, to draft in 2014 didn't really start hitting the AHL till 2016. And so Ryan Huska's job description was, they said, Ryan, we, they really liked the job he did developing talent when he's with the Kelowna Rockets. And they went, this is what we needed to do. The priority was, preparing as many human bodies as possible to be useful and occasionally high-end NHL players. And the record was secondary. They'd lo- they would have loved if they won, but the you know minute, the, the first goal was develop, develop, develop. And so they were an above 500 team while he was there, but the, the, mo- the, the goal was development. And he put a lot of guys in the NHL that we're seeing now. Garnet Hathaway, Ryan Lomberg, uh, Anderson, Shillington, uh, Andrew Mangiapane, Dubé spent uh, spent a bit of time with him in his in his. Uh, I think he finished up in Kelowna during the last year that Huska was there and played. I think maybe a handful of games with them, but he spent time there. So he spent a lot of time there. David Riddick turn, went from being an obscure European goalie into being a, a a guy ready for the NHL based on how he was used by Ryan Huska's staff. And then, of course, now you know Mitch Love's job was different and defined differently in success. The parameters of his job were different for love than for Huska. So, you know, I understand the temptation of, Oh, oh they should show some Mitch love because his AHL record is better. Yeah, but it's not an exact comparison. And yeah, I'd just be repeating a lot of things that Pat said. Otherwise uh, I'm, I like the higher, I think having someone who sort of much, I'd say the same things I like about this are the same things I liked about bringing in Craig Conroy as general manager. Someone who sort of was around the chaos, but has a completely different coaching and managerial perspective than the guy he's inheriting the job from. And, you know, Ryan Huska, 
you forget he like he was he was a very successful player in Major Junior. He won Memorial Cups. He's been to Memorial Cup as a member of the Kelowna Rockets coaching staff. He's been behind, uh, you know, he's been the the brains behind a a very good penalty kill, especially the last two or three seasons. And B, you know, if you his, his job, the defensive group of the Calgary Flames since 2018 has been an etcher sketch. Every year they've lost in some ways, a big, big piece, whether it be Mark Giordano, TJ Brody, uh, Oliver Shillington, who looked like he was breaking out. You didn't have him for a full year. You didn't have good Branson. They had big challenges to juggle on the blue line the last few years. And I think he's managed them exceptionally well, given the circumstances. So, you know, I, uh, I think he's deserved the opportunity because, you know, yeah. whether, whether he succeeds or fails, you know, this will sound very mean. And I apologize. I don't mean to sound mean. He's at least, earn the opportunity to fail. He's also earned the opportunity to hopefully for his case succeed. But I mean, there's plenty of guys that haven't put in the work or paid their dues or really built the trust with the organization and with management the way he has over the last decade. And, you know, we'll see how he does. So we will uh, wait over the weekend to see if it becomes more official. But uh, as Elliot Friedman says, it's trending towards and and the leading candidate to be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames is Ryan Huska. And I'm guessing news conference introduction Monday, Tuesday would probably be uh, the the logical look. Uh, And it's been close here for a little bit. So uh, we'll see if it ends up going through. Very typically, if um, Elliot puts something out there, three times in the span of about 13 hours, four times in the span of about 13 hours, you know what's going to happen. It meshes with everything that I have uh, been hearing over the last week or so as well. few texts at 960-960 as this hour of Flames Talk rolls on. Uh, this says, everything I just heard Pike say about Huska uh, being such an articulate hockey smart guy has gullets and vibes all over it. Again, I, I there is more head coaching experience for Ryan Huska, more successful head coaching experience for Huska. I was a Gulletson guy too, but um, I, I I do know that, especially talking to guys who played for him, his ability to command a roster and command that kind of respect that you need a head coach to command at times wasn't necessarily there. I'm not as worried about that with uh, with Ryan. This says Huska's the right call. Moved to a love to an assistant to keep the growth with the youth and Savard is an assistant to bring the offensive creativity and power play. I don't know if uh, Mitch Love will remain with the organization or not if this all ends up going through, but uh, I, I don't mind that look of, of a potential coaching staff. This says uh, Rasmus Anderson suggesting he's a guy that uh, Huska helped develop. Uh, Coleman and Duchess says last year the biggest problem was offense and you want them to hire a defensive coach. I think that that is a poor characterization of this. Did Ryan Huska deal with the defense and the penalty kill over the last five years? Yes. Does that mean that he is a defensive coach? No. Um, This says love makes more sense than Huska. Uh, And this says should the Flames look to extend Oliver Shillington? That's a topic for another day, but... I'll just say, uh, yes, they should. Uh, It's Flames Talk, Hour 1, underway. Ryan Pike, Pat Steinberg along with you on a Friday. Coming up on Saturday from 11 a.m. till noon, we will be live on location at Trail Appliances because we're grilling with the Flames alumni at Trail. Come on down to their massive spot in Deerfoot Meadows, 6860 11th Street Southeast from 11 till 1, where Logan and I will be broadcasting meet and greet with the Flames alumni on Saturday. We've got a pay-by-donation barbecue lunch 
Ranch with proceeds going to Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids. And you've got a chance to win a new barbecue valued at $2,200. That's coming up 11 till 1, Saturday morning slash afternoon at Trail Appliances. Family owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Napoleon. For more details, visit sportsnet.ca slash 960. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Friday. Pat Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. And uh, very happy to welcome in our next guest. He is a proud Airdrie product. And he is now a world championship gold medalist with Team Canada in Latvia and Finland. Just uh, about a week ago, uh, just over a week ago, he won gold with Team Canada. They're very proud to welcome in Jake Neighbors on the program on this Friday afternoon. Jake, appreciate the time today, man. How you doing? for having me on. Hey, no problem. It's good to uh, it's good to chat with you. And uh, how's it feel to be a gold medalist? Uh, feels pretty cool. Uh, still kind of surreal. We're only, you know, two weeks out and, uh, you know, feels like we were in Europe just yesterday, but, yeah. uh, man, what an experience. It was, uh, it was so much fun, such a great group of guys and, uh, obviously capped it off with a gold medal. So can't complain about that. So how has the last week and a bit treated you? What is the, what has it been like the last little bit? Yeah, it's been good. Mostly just, uh, catching up with friends and family and, and kind of showing off the, the new hardware and, um, you know, enjoying a little bit of summer here before the training starts again. But, um, yeah, just kind of been settling back into Calgary here and, um, you know, enjoying being home, enjoying summer. So Jet lag good? Like you, you, you've adjusted your back to normal? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm adjusted now, but uh, definitely took a couple of days. It's uh, quite the time change. I think we were nine hours in Riga, so it uh, took some getting used to and, um, you know, trying to stay awake and when you're pretty tired and, and stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, no, definitely have adjusted two weeks out now. So feeling pretty normal. So were you on that, um, 6am flight back to Calgary the next day, or did you, did you have a little bit more time over in Europe? No, I was, I was on that 640am flight. That's okay. How painful you just won a gold medal and now you're up at a slate that, that can't be a fun flight. Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. And, uh, you know, with the time change as well, you got to try and do your best to stay up for most of it. So you get back adjusted to obviously mountain time, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely weird. The celebration after the game, uh, you know, almost felt too short and, um, you know, guys were heading out on buses at, at two fifteen and two forty five AM to, to get to Helsinki and, and get over to, uh, on a flight to Frankfurt or wherever they were heading. So, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, a weird night, but, uh, you know, a fun one in, until we got to the airport. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, so who was on that flight back with you? It would have been, was uh, Luch was on that flight? Kelso would have been on that flight? Like, who else was on the, the 640 or whatever it was from Frankfurt to Calgary? Yeah, it was, uh, I think, uh, Luch, uh, Kelso, like you said, Peyton Krebs. Um, I think we were the only three Calgary guys, but 
Um, you know, there was a, a full bus of us that were leaving at, at 2.45, whether they were going elsewhere or um, to Calgary. But, yeah, on that Calgary fight, it, it would have been uh, Krebsy, Luch, and I, and, and obviously Kelsa. Okay. Um, and th- did I hear correctly, uh, you got a little Luke Combs in pretty quickly after getting back? Yeah, yeah, we headed down to Edmonton uh, this past weekend and went and saw him on Saturday, which was a blast. He's uh, obviously a great performer. It was uh, one of my favorite country artists. It was really cool to see him live. That's and awesome. um, Yeah, it was an amazing show. It was, it was a great time. And and uh, just before we dive into the World Championship experience as it was, uh, I accidentally, while you were over there, called you a Calgary product, but uh, it's Jake Neighbors' Airdrie product, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Airdrie and uh, lived there until I was about 13, 14 years old. And then I kind of followed wherever hockey was taking me from that point on. But yeah, I grew up and, and lived in Airdrie. Okay. Um, so yeah, I just want to make sure that, because a couple of people from Airdrie texted in immediately. Hey, wait a second, Airdrie product. So I wanted to make sure that I got that right. Uh, Jake Neighbors of yeah. the Blues and World Championship gold medalist with Team Canada with us on the program. So how how do you put into words the entire World Championship experience? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find words. I think, you know, especially as a, you know, a 21-year-old kid who, you know, only first played his uh, first season pro this year. It was, uh, I think, a great opportunity for me to, to go over there and, and meet some more guys around the league and obviously compete against some of the best in the world that, on an international stage. And so as soon as I got that call that I was going to be invited, it was a no-brainer. And um, obviously the experience was amazing, getting to travel through three beautiful cities, uh, over there in Europe and and hang out with some guys, make some new friends around the league. It was uh, it was definitely a time I'll cherish and remember forever. So how did it all come about? Like walk us through how you found out that you were going to get this opportunity. Yeah, I was uh, probably with about I don't know eight to six games left in the in the NHL season, and uh, I was with St. Louis, and obviously Doug Armstrong's our GM there. Uh, in St. Louis and was also one of our GMs at, at the World Championships. And uh, he kind of just called me into a meeting and, and told me I was going to get the opportunity to come over and, uh, you know, represent my country. And, um, you know, it's, it was kind of left at that. He told me to take a couple days and think about it and, and let him know if I wanted to go. But uh, like I said, it was a no-brainer for me. I, I gave him a pretty quick answer and uh, I was ready to go over. So, so that would that be the second time you've suited up for Team Canada? You did it at the, the U-17s, right? Uh, it actually would have been my fourth. Okay. So I played for them uh, U-17 and then uh, U-18, Ivan Holenka, and then uh, I played in the World Juniors that was canceled in That's Edmonton because right. of COVID. That's we right. only got right. two. Yeah, we only got two games in. So, you know, some people say that doesn't count, but in my books it does, so. Uh, yeah, it was my uh, fourth time wearing the sweater. I, I forgot. I forgot that because the the record gets wiped of that World Juniors. I forgot about that. So yeah. So yeah. This time going to a World Championship and and doing it with with uh, men and doing it with some of the best Europeans in the world NHLers like I just the the level of play. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, it was. It was definitely a lot different, and I think something that all of us had to adjust to. It was a different style of play, obviously a very high level of play, and, and you know, those guys over there on some of the teams that, you know, a lot of people in North America don't know about, 
Um, you know, even teams like Latvia and, and Germany and, um, you know, they all had good players. And I think that's one thing in the younger tournaments you don't really realize because there's a lot more blowouts and usually it's kind of Canada, U.S., Sweden, Finland, Russia, your big teams that just kind of wipe through the tournament. But, I mean, as you saw this year at Worlds, it's it's a much different game and, you know, everybody's grown men now and everybody can compete. And You see teams like uh, Latvia who did really well, obviously, and Germany went to the finals. So um, I think that was the biggest difference for me compared to these other tournaments that I played in was just that every country can compete and you have to be ready for every game and and, and obviously especially when you're team Canada because teams are going to come yeah. ready and, and try and beat you so so you uh, you mentioned the three cities you were in you started kind of your, your mini training camp in Budapest go to Riga and then finish off in in Tampere Finland just how do you get an opportunity when you're playing? Like, what is the balance of being able to see some of these spots and explore, but also focusing on the actual game itself? Yeah, I think earlier on, and, uh, you know, our first couple of days in Budapest was more about just getting out and getting to know each other and, you know, going for dinners with the team and the staff and, and everybody kind of getting familiar with each other and, um, you know, we had a blast there and, and got to see a lot of Budapest. And, uh, you know, obviously it was a tough training camp trying to get the, the plane legs out of you. But um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of time off and, and getting to hang out with each other. So that was great. And, and then kind of as you move into Riga, things start to tighten up a little bit more, mm-hmm. obviously, with round-robin games and making sure you're, you're trying to seed well and, and whatnot. So, um, and then once we got to Finland, it was all business. So I think just as the tournament goes on, you get – Unfortunately, a little less time to see all the cool stuff around you, but um, obviously well worth it with um, with what we accomplished. We're talking to Jake Neighbors of the St. Louis Blues and Team Canada gold medalist at this last world championship in Finland and Latvia. So tell us about the, the guys you played with. I know there was a, a lot of talk, especially after your group won gold. You saw whether it was Tyler Myers or we had Luch on last week and just a lot of, yeah, people weren't giving us a lot of shot people weren't uh, giving this roster a lot of credit, but tell us about the group that you played with. I mean, it was amazing. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, like those guys said, the media was quick to kind of shoot us down and, and say that we weren't, uh, you know, a good team. And, you know, I think that kind of jump-started us a little bit and, and kind of motivated us to, to be the group that could prove everybody wrong. And, um, I mean, we had a blast. And I think that was the number one thing is, is if you were to talk to a lot of guys that were over there on that team, they would say it felt like we played with each other for an entire season. So, um, you know, we came together really quick as a group and, and just, you know, kind of bonded. I, I really have never seen a team come together so fast and, and become so familiar with each other and comfortable with each other. And I think ultimately that led to our success. And, um, you know, for a young guy like me, getting to play with guys like Mio Lucic, who, you know, me and my dad grew up watching and, and stuff like that. I think as a young guy, that stuff's really cool. And um, But, yeah, I think just the way that team came together and had so much fun doing it and, um, you know, just competed hard. And at the same time, we had a lot of fun and, um, you know, really got to know each other. And, uh, you know, we still got an active group chat two weeks later, still nice. chatting to each other and, and, and uh, sending pictures in and, and whatnot, um, reminding um, us of, of what we accomplished and all the fun times we had. So, uh, it was definitely uh, an amazing group, but I think that that was the biggest reason we had so much success. And do you, uh, do you like you talk about hanging out with the guys? Anybody that you didn't know, or anybody that you uh, weren't totally familiar with, that you, you start hanging out with? You get any get tight with anybody over there while you were uh, while you were getting to know everyone? 
Yeah, I mean, I went over there knowing pretty much nobody. Uh, I went over with a Blues teammate, Sammy Blay, um, and he was really and Joel Hofer as well. But those were the really the only guys I knew going into the tournament. Um, and like I said, it was just it was such a team atmosphere, and everybody came together so quickly. And um, you know, I think for me personally, uh, some of the younger guys uh, like Jack McBain from Arizona and Jack Quinn from um, uh, Buffalo. There, we kind of the three of us were some of the younger guys on the team. And, um, you know, so we were hanging out lots, formed some pretty good relationships with them and, you know, obviously still talking to them now. So uh, I think that's just such the cool thing about those tournaments is uh, guys you'd never get a chance to maybe play with ever or meet or be in a situation like that. You, you get that chance and you turn out to be pretty good buddies. So. Chatting with Jake Neighbors of the St. Louis Blues and Team Canada at the World Championship. What about what about for you and and what going and succeeding and and playing at that level can do for you going forward? How much of a confidence builder is it for you, Jake? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, for me, I think my first year pro was a bit of a roller coaster. I was you know up and down multiple times, and uh, you know we had a an off year in St. Louis, so um, you know there was it was a bit of a different year for sure. And I think just getting the, the chance to go over there and, and, you know, play hockey again and win some games and uh, be on a really good team and obviously meet new guys. Like I mentioned was, was really good. And, um, you know, I thought I had a good tournament and performed well and, um, you know, kind of played my role well for, for the guys we had on that team. I think I found a spot and uh, a way I can contribute to, to the team and, you know, that's huge, like you said, for confidence and, and for moving into the next season. So uh, for me, it's just trying to remember how I played there and, uh, you know, that confidence I was playing with and, and trying to carry it into uh, to the next season. Well, and you mentioned this year with St. Louis and, and kind of up and down. You did end up getting into 43 NHL games this year and the, the closest yet to a full NHL season for you and, and still really young in this league. How, how did you feel at the NHL level this year when you were in? Yeah, I think at the start it was, uh, you know, a bit of nerves and, and kind of adjusting. And then, uh, you know, I went down to the American League, kind of found my game again. And, um, you know, then I came back up. I was I had a real good stretch of games, I think 15 games there where I was playing real well and, and kind of producing a little bit. And um, and then I went, uh, it was all-star break. I went back down to the AHL and, and was down there for a couple more weeks. And then I came back up and, and kind of blew my shoulder up. Uh, in my second game back up. So I was hurt for a while. And then uh, and then once I think I came back with about 13 games left in the season and, and thought I was playing well. So for the most part, I think after I was sent down and, and recalled, I had kind of found my game and felt a lot more comfortable in the NHL and uh, rather than my first, you know, 15 games or whatever it was. And um, so I think that was a good thing for me, getting to go down to the American League and, and play more minutes and, and get a chance to touch the puck and, um, you know, play my game. So once I did that and, and came back up, I thought I was playing a lot better. And, uh, you know, just unfortunately due to injury, I yeah. wasn't able to, you know, continue it. But, uh, and then there's a bit of a rebuild after injury. And, uh, but, you know, I thought I got back to my game there. And, um, you know, honestly, I'm just, I'm really excited to get into next season and, and try and play a full 82. What, where did you see or what areas did you see the most growth in in your game this year? I think just the responsibility and, and, and thinking the game. I think, you know, with line matching and, and the talent of the NHL, there's there's always good players on the ice. And you just need to be, as a young guy, you got to be aware of who you're out there against, what situation you're in, 
what the situation calls for. It's it's honestly a lot uh, more just about thinking the game and, and making the right decisions and, and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, my fundamentals of my game are pretty good. Obviously, I want to improve my shot. I want to improve my skating and all these things. But I think just getting a, adjusted to the style the NHL plays, and it's a lot more controlled. There's, uh, you know, not it's not a track meet like junior where there's mistakes going back and forth and there's chances going both ways. You know, there's you're only going to get one chance a game maybe two Mm -hmm. unless you're one of the elite players in the league and if you want to be producing you have to be ready for those chances or or you have to find a way to create them more and um, you know I think for me that was the biggest thing and and then obviously just on the defensive side trying to become really reliable and, and able to play against you know top players that that'll get you more minutes so What's the like any main focuses for you this summer in terms of where you want to improve or take some steps going into camp? Yeah, I think just strength for sure is one thing. Um, you know, as a young guy, you want to continue to get stronger. You're playing against grown men every night that are, uh, you know, obviously bigger and, and stronger and, uh, you know, can move. So I think that's number one is, is getting stronger and faster. And then uh, specifically, I think my shot, I want to be uh, more of a threat to shoot. Uh, I think in junior, I was more of a pass-first guy, and, and I always looked uh, to kind of feed my teammates, and uh, especially as a rookie in the NHL, you know, there's that kind of that tendency that you want to find the veteran on your line instead of being a little bit more selfish and shooting the puck. So it's kind of a mindset thing as well, but, uh, you know, you got to have the tools to do it. So I think just developing my shot and, and being more of a threat to score will, you know, create more for me. What's the rest of the summer look like for you then? Yeah, I, I think just hanging out in Calgary. I'm I'm gonna head out to Saskatchewan and see some family out there and and spend some time with them. Uh, and uh, obviously, I haven't got to see them throughout COVID over the last couple of years. So get out there and and see them. I got a golf trip with some buddies lined up, and and obviously a ton of training and skating and getting ready for the next year. So uh, I think just a good balance of fun and and uh, obviously a lot of work included too. So. Uh, it's going to be a good summer, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, last question for you. I asked you about Airdrie at the beginning, so I'll, I'll I'll wrap up asking about your hometown as well. It's 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 kind of cool, you know. I, I know Boychuk and and Dell and Ratty have all played NHL games, and now here you are uh, into your just getting started your NHL career. Just I, I'm I'm curious how proud you are of of repping a spot like Airdrie and and being able to kind of continue that run of guys who have made it to the highest level from from Airdrie yeah it's pretty cool uh you know obviously there's not too many of us that have come out of Airdrie minor hockey and and gone on to play in the NHL so uh, I think for me just being a young guy it's uh about staying humble and um you know knowing where I come from and uh you know just trying to represent them well and and with uh, with pride, and you know, I think just I want to have a long career, and that's you know the number one thing for me. I don't want to be you know a four or five year guy. I want to play multiple multiple years in the NHL and and have a good career, and uh, you know that obviously takes a ton of consistency and a ton of hard work. So I'm ready for the long journey ahead, and um, you know, representing Airdrie, being from Airdrie is is obviously a very cool thing. So I'm super super proud to be from there and be one of the one of the few to go on to this level. Well, Jake, uh, congratulations on the gold medal. Congratulations of year one or four year one in the NHL and really appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for doing this and have a great rest of your summer. Hey. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show and um, appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks Jake. Be well, man. 
Yeah, you as well. Thank you. It's Jake Neighbors of the St. Louis Blues, Airdrie Minor Hockey Product, and Team Canada World Championship gold medalist joining us here on Flames Talk on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. It's uh, Steinberg along with you on this hour of Flames Talk. Ryan Pike with us as well. And uh, as we wrap up this hour, we would be remiss not to talk about another large deal in the NHL on this Friday. Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, they're wheeling and dealing. They're bringing in vet D-man all over the place. They made the big deal for Ivan Provorov earlier this week, and then on Friday, Pike, they go out and they make a deal with New Jersey. Pending unrestricted free agent Damon Severson is no longer an unrestricted free agent. In fact, Elliot Friedman reported this earlier this week, basically said, don't be surprised. Actually, I think it was over the weekend that he reported it. But whenever, he said, basically, don't be surprised if the Devils trade Severson's rights because he's probably not going to re-sign there. So they're going to see if they can't get something back for the exclusive UFA negotiating rights for Severson. That's exactly what they did with Columbus. So the Devils get a third-round pick for a guy that's about to become an unrestricted free agent, and Columbus gets the player. It's the second-ever sign-in trade and, and in the all, NHL. And we remember the first one. Orchestrated by Toronto Maple Leafs GM Brad Living back in his previous job in a city I forget the name of. Yeah, I don't remember it either. Uh, but yes, he uh, the, the Matthew Kachuk contract in Florida is the first ever NHL sign-in trade. And now this eight-year, $50 million deal at 6.25 for Damon Severson that's, that's is McKin- the second. That's McKenzie Weger money. That's the identical contract outside they of bonuses to McKenzie Weger. similar players, too. Like, some of the things that they do well, some of the areas that they get criticized in. Uh, Severson and Weger are very, very similar players, too. And now they've got the same contract. Hey, I, I I like what Columbus is trying to do. They, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen, I think, knows that they got to start winning or his job may not be safe. And so he's gone and out and he's made over the last couple summers Johnny Gaudreau, Ivan Provorov, Yarmo Kekalainen, and they, uh, sorry, not Yarmo Kekalainen, now Damon Severson. <laughs> and uh, they still have the number three overall selection in if, the NHL. If draft. you're, if you're, Spending the kind of money that you're spending on a Johnny Gaudreau and the way aging works, folks, you're not who you are when you're 27 or 28 forever. Father time catches up with you. So I I think they probably want to maximize the maximizable years of Johnny Gaudreau's peak. And to do that, you need to surround him with some guys that can keep the puck out of their own zone. And, you know, Provorov and Severson, I think it's a, it's a good step. And I think it gives them the ability to buy a bit of time for guys like Corson and Kuhlman's guys. They have a lot of like David Yurisek. They have a lot of good young blue liners in their system that might not be ready for prime time yet. And rather than sort of throw them to the wolves, you give them, you, you buy yourself a bit of breathing room by getting these guys in. I don't, you know, if you're asking me eight years, I think Severson's going to be paid at least 36. I mean, yeah, the back end of that contract's not going to be great, but if you're... Hey, you're Columbus. You've got to go long if, to get If guys. you're Yarmo Kekalainen, and you're you're not thinking, I don't know, guys, how's this going to look in eight years? You're thinking, 
I would like to be the GM in eight years and have to deal with that problem. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to do this to see if I can't make that happen. Yeah. And, and the, the nice thing is this time, because of the, the work the flames put in, uh, the NHL head office actually knew how to process a sign and trade. I was told by, uh, by some, some folks in the league office that, uh, the, one of the reasons why it took them so long to process the Matthew Kachuk trade is they actually didn't have a mechanism for processing a sign and trade. They looked at it and went, how the heck are we supposed to deal with this? So thankfully for everyone else, the flames put in that, uh, they broke through the wall first and opened the veritable floodgates of sign and trades. It, it might not be the, the last one we see. I think there's, Oh, you know, now the mechanism's there. And I think we see more of it. It's a, it's forward. a copycat league. And I imagine there's probably 31 other GMs when Brad living, actually 30 other GMs and Brad living and, uh, Florida's GM, Bill, uh, Bill Zito put it together. That probably went, Wait, we can do that? So, yeah, they can do that. And now two other GMs are joining the We Can Do That Club. Uh, this hour starting to wrap up on Flames Talk. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, a lot of talk on Ryan Huska, who uh, will be introduced, we believe, on Monday as the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, hey, that, that kind of... I was wondering again if they were going to get it in before the weekend, but I, uh, I, I always felt like, yeah, it probably feels like Monday it, it is feels, when it's going to happen. It, and now it's out. Elliot had it out on Thursday night, so they don't care if they wait until Monday. Uh, so, yeah. uh, congrats to Ryan Huska. He's going to be the new head coach of the Calgary Flames uh, this hour. We talked about that um, and and why Pike and I think this is a really good hire. Um, so. Congrats to Ryan Huska. Guys earned it. Uh, Pike's on Twitter at Ryan N. Pike. Uh, Azam and Callum have our been, been our producers this week. My name is Pat Steinberg, and this hour has been coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y.